is. And let's see if it's more secure. It has a tendency to fall out from time to time, but we'll see how it goes. Wow, it's much closer than my eyeballs. I like that. That works out really well. Well, my friends, here we are for our final time at this very dangerous corner called uh, Religion and Politics. All right, we've been there for three weeks. Uh, two of those are online. Last week's will be online on the podcast. We had a little technical difficulties. We kind of have to pull it off the DVD this week and then put it online. But it will be online for those of you who are uh, interested in hearing that last week if you missed it. And so, before we continue those, because this is our final time talking about religion and politics, what we want to talk about is the power of personal opinions, because your personal opinions are powerful things. They drive you to do incredible things. They determine things like what we eat, because we all have our opinions about what we want to eat and what's important and what we really like. You already heard earlier today the kids' opinions. They would really prefer grapes over what was it, tomatoes or something like that. Whatever it is. Some of you, Lucy, we're... You said you really like some sort of vegetable over every... Well, good. That's why you probably lived as long as you have. Congratulations. Good job. But what we watch on TV, we all have our personal opinions. For me, I kind of like anything British, so we tend to watch BBC and some other things. We've got a bunch of British shows that we watch, Grandchester and uh, all kinds of things, but not just Downton Abbey. I don't know why I like all things British, but... Um, kind of an Anglophile, and so that's what, that's my opinion. It's not necessarily a better show, it's just what I like. Our vacations, I was talking to a man this week, Kelly Coho, he is our pastor at our church over in St. John's. His idea of a vacation is walking several hundred miles along like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Northwest Trail. That's his vacation. Yuck. <laughs> Could not imagine that as my vacation. Now, some of you are uh, campers, you really like to do it, and some of you are all-inclusive kind of people. It's your own opinion. It's very important to you, and that determines where you go on vacation, where you live. I was talking to Dean Epperly. They're not here this morning, but Dean Epperly, I don't know if you've been noticing, Dean Epperly was part of this church, then he went to pastor the church in Falls City, and he's back now. I was watching his Facebook post, and he's really looking forward to moving to, of all places, Las Vegas, Nevada. I always thought people lived in Las Vegas until they got enough money to move to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> but he loves it there. And that's where he's planning to go. That's his personal opinion. And you may think, well, yeah, but Doug, one day when you retire, you're thinking of going to Florida. But that's only because that's where the grandkids are. I'm not interested in Florida. I'm interested in the grandkids. If they were living, so that's my kids and grandkids, that's where I'd be. Florida and heat is not my thing. So I can't imagine anybody who really, really, really likes Las Vegas heat, but the Epperleys do bless their little heart. In fact, this opinion is so strong, it even affects this, where we attend church. Let me show you this. If you like a formal, structured, ritualistic type worship service, then you will probably wind up in something like a Catholic, Lutheran, um, uh, Presbyterian, something like that, because they're far more structured and ritualistic, and that's what you like. If you like that emotional, spontaneous, then you'll probably go to one of the uh, Pentecostal churches. Right around the corner is uh, the Assembly of God Church, and, and you know, sometimes they're maybe running around, or there's lots of noise, they're speaking in tongues, and you really love that, that's where you'll wind up. If you like that energetic, loud, rocking and rolling, and you think it's loud here, it's not even close. I'm talking about there are some churches around here where it's lights and lasers and pyrotechnics and everything else, and you love that. That's where you go. That's your opinion. Great. 
If you like the large congregations, and there are several of those, many people really enjoy a congregation that has thousands of people, a megachurch that has so many programs, things like that, some of the very best. I mean, there are places that I know that are megachurches. They pay everyone. I, praise team, could you close your ears? Their bass players are paid sixty to $80,000 a year just to play bass for their services. That's the bass player in a megachurch. And some of you who play bass are now looking for a megachurch, aren't you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Or maybe, maybe your personal preference goes a little bit more on this right here. Do you remember this one? Cheers. And I'm not talking about a church that serves you booze on Sunday morning. What was the thing about church? I mean, about cheers. You know, it was the place where everybody, what? Everybody knows your name. Okay, so you like that small church, the church of 60, 70, 80, 100 people where you walk in, everybody knows you, which also means everybody knows when you're not there. Okay. Some people love that. As a matter of fact, most people in America attend a small little church. You can see how your own personal opinion really shapes what you do. How about this? Let's talk about your personal preference when we're talking about this battle right here. Boom. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now the gloves come off, don't they? We're not talking about unimportant things like church. We're talking about politics. Let's talk about a few issues right now. Let me show you a few things. I'm going to try to very quickly, because I'm not a politician, talk about a few of the things that you have opinions of that will determine how you vote. Ready? We're going to talk about foreign policy, military, business, taxation, abortion, marriage, minimum wage, immigration. I'm going to do this in about 45 seconds, and I'll probably be a little longer. Here we go. Ready? If in your idea that your opinion of foreign policies, we need to be far, very involved in foreign policy in other countries and help them. Oh, let's go back to where we were, please. Right there. Perfect. Okay. Right there, if, if you think that we need to be really involved in this foreign policy, kind of an intervention, then you're probably going to lean Republican. If you believe, however, that we need to keep our hands off of some of the countries, those other countries can handle their own things and we should just kind of keep out of it, then you probably lean Democrat. If you think that the military is not strong enough and we need to really invest far more in our military so that it's much stronger than it currently is, you'll probably lean Republican. If, however, you take a look at our military budget and you think that we're currently spending enough, maybe even too much that needs to be cut, you will probably lean Democrat. If when you're talking about business and you think that the businesses is a real strong thing for our country and we need to take as many regulations off of them as possible so that our businesses can be strong, you will probably lean Republican. But if you think the businesses really need, because of the, the greed factor, they really need far more intervention, they really need far more government oversight and regulation, then you will probably lean to the Democrat. If you think in taxation that taxation should be kind of a flat tax, that that uh, we need to cut taxes and everybody should just be paying kind of a flat tax and you'll probably lean Republican. But if you think that maybe we still need to cut taxes, except maybe raise it for the rich because the rich currently are not paying their, self, their, uh, their fair share of taxes, then you will probably lean to the Democrat. If you believe that the, that the government should really kind of monitor abortion and marriage and kind of promote those traditional values, you will probably lean to the Republican. If, however, you think that abortion and marriage are not issues that the government should really be supporting, but that's a different, maybe everybody should just have their own choice, then you will probably lean to the Democrat. If you think that the minimum wage should either stay where it is or even be done away with because the minimum wage actually hurts the poor because of as the, the wages go up, the costs go up, you will probably lean to the Republican. If, however, if you think the minimum wage, there should be a minimum wage, in fact, it probably should be raised so that it is a living wage and all countries or all companies should pay that, you will probably lean to the Democrat. 
If you think that immigration, that we need to really clamp down on immigration, perhaps even deport all the people who are here illegally and really put up a wall, you will probably lean to the Republican. But if you think to yourself, in your opinions, what we need to do is take the people who are currently here and have a pathway towards uh, citizenship or at least legality here, then you will probably lean Democrat. There you go. Now, that was a mouthful. So there's your opinion. You tell me your opinion, and I'll tell you probably who you're going to vote for. Because you're going to vote based on your opinion. All right? Now, here's the question. Why do you believe what you believe? And from his, been lots of studies, tons of studies, lots of studies. Why is it that you believe what you believe, which then determines how you vote? And this is what we finally come to. Here's what really makes you believe and vote the way you do. And here's the answer. Nobody really knows. Clueless. Why do some of you believe that the minimum wage needs to be up here and it's got to stay right there and others of you believe that the minimum wage is the worst thing that's ever happened to the poor people? I don't know. Where'd that come from? It's incredible. Lots of factors, but none of them are definitive. I want to show you this map right here. We're, we're going to get to the Word. Trust me, all right? Some of you are visitors going, do they preach the Bible around here? Yeah, we will. We'll get there. This was the 2012 map. Um, you can see the blue, all those people who voted Democratic and all those who voted Republican. And why? I mean, look at the, the conglomerations right there. I, why is it that way? Nobody knows. And, and could you imagine if, let's say, you were, you were living there in Kansas over there with the Rudines. Hi, Rudines. Nice to have you here. And uh, suddenly you, you found yourself leaning towards the Democrats. And, and then the next thing you know, you're being called to live in Minnesota. I don't know. You're just drawn. It doesn't work that way. We don't know why people believe what they believe. Sometimes we could say, well, you know, it's family. Except, have you ever had a family discussion around the table? Everybody agree? And yet, we're all family. It's location. Well, we just look at I, I don't know. We don't know. I just know that what you believe about these things, your opinion about these things, that's what determines how you... You don't have to tell me how you're going to vote. All I have to say is, what's your opinion on those issues? And I will tell you how you're going to vote. I already know. Because it's your opinions that are going to change what you do and guide what you do. Ready? Now we move on. Here we go. We are right now ending a series that we've called How Should We Then Vote? Following Jesus in a Political World. Because obviously this is the, uh, the election season. In fact, it, um, it looks like maybe even the primaries are going to be decided or at least the nominations could be decided even this week. We'll find out. What we're really asking is, how does being a follower of Jesus affect the way that I vote? Well, or how does it affect the way that I live in a political world? And we do live in a political world. We all know that quite often in the political world, even within churches, there's a lot of conflict. And yet the church shouldn't be in conflict over these issues. We have other things that we need to be concerned with. So we've been coming up with four rules. The first rule was one we looked at a few weeks ago, and here's rule number one for living in the political world if you're going to follow Jesus Christ. Remember this one, now you're in your sermon notes, if you want to follow along, make sure my priorities and passion are properly placed. In other words, politics is important, who's going to be in president is important, but you know what? Compared to eternity, it's nothing. We are going to elect a president in just a few months. Some of you will be happy with that, some of you will be very unhappy, many of you really won't care. But you know what? None of it's going to matter. I mean, it'll make a difference here and there. But in what's really important, it won't matter. 
Because what's really important is eternity, not politics. And the President of the United States does not determine eternity for people. We are concerned more about eternity. Okay, I might be concerned about how you vote. I may be concerned about some of the politics. It's important, as we talked about last week. But still in all, it's where people spend eternity. That's what we're about. Make sure that if you are passionate about politics, you are even more passionate about eternity and about the church. Because the church is God's chosen instrument to bring the word of eternity to the world. A couple weeks ago, we looked at rule number two. If you're going to be involved in the political world, then you do this. You view the political process through the lens of Jesus. When you do that, it makes you sick to your stomach. Because the political process is not righteous. It is designed to be unrighteous. Our candidates lie. They claim they have to lie. You will find people right now who are calling each other horrendous names that after the nomination is complete, suddenly they're going to be the best of friends and kind of forget all the things that they said about each other. It's not righteous, people. It is not righteous. When you see it through the lens of Jesus Christ, you understand that I can be a little involved, but I don't want to really grasp, I don't really hold, I don't want to embrace the political process. Otherwise, you wind up being a hypocrite and buying into the lie and buying into the tactics that just the end does not justify the means. In other words, simply getting somebody elected doesn't justify lying, stealing, dishonesty, put-downs, anger. No, no, no. God never uses those things for his name. Rule number three was last week. Remember what it was? You vote for a lot. Remember what, what does lot stand for? Least of these. In other words, we looked at the word of God last week and saw how the, how the Bible and how God really expects the government to first and foremost take care of the least of these. And when the government did not take care of the least of these, God changed the government. That God's idea of government is not for supporting the rich and powerful. You don't need to support the rich and powerful because they were already what? Rich and powerful, they don't need your help. But what about the powerless? What about those who live with discrimination? What about those who live in poverty? What do we do with them? That's where the concern, and when I go into the voting booth, and I do remember that, another way to put it was this, remember? Don't be selfish at the ballot box. And it's one of the most selfish places that we, that we go as Christians. We walk in and we say, what's going to be best for me? What's going to be best for my family? Who will cut my taxes the most? Who will give me back more of my federal dollars? That's selfish. We don't do that anywhere, and we don't do it in the ballot box. We walk into the ballot box and say, God has an idea for government, and that government is a government that takes care of the least of these. Which one of these candidates is going to do the best job of leading this country to really care for and provide opportunity for the people who cannot do it for themselves? That was last week, all right? It'll be online hopefully this week. All right, now, remember this. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down. The Bible does not tell me how to vote on these issues. Please, please don't do this to me. I love you. I care about you. I do not want to get in your face. I don't like to do that. But if you try to come to me and show me in Scripture where it says that, let me show you the biblical basis for a flat tax. I'm generally a pretty nice guy. (laughs) But I don't like when people twist my father's word to meet their own opinions. It really bugs me. Yes, God called for a 10% tithe in the Old Testament, but don't for one second say, see, that means God wants a 10% flat tax for the government. The Bible's not going to tell you how to vote on these issues. It just won't. Don't twist his words around. Matter of fact, 
The Bible even says, you know, don't even worry all that much about what's going on out there. Now, it's okay to be involved. You should be. But remember this passage of Scripture right here. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard and heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be able to, to teach men who are qualified as well. In other words, he says, look, this is what I want you to do. This is Paul talking to Timothy. I want you to find a bunch of people, and I'll teach you things, and you teach them, but only teach people who are going to be able to teach others and others. That's what I want you to do. Then he says this. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. He kind of just said to Timothy, you know, remember as a soldier for Jesus Christ, your focus is Jesus and not the civilian affairs doesn't mean we can't be involved. It's okay. Be involved. Vote, even if you want to be involved in the process. Just remember what we talked about with rule number one. Keep your priorities and passion properly placed. We're about the kingdom of God. Those are the things that will last forever. Let's give our time and attention primarily to those. So it doesn't tell me really how to vote on these issues. Otherwise, it would be right there. But it does this. It does tell me how to treat people with different opinions. And in the kingdom of God, oh my word, are there so many different... Within this church, there are so many... I could right now ask you who you're going to... Who's going to vote for... And I'm not going to do that. Lord, mercy, no. Oh my. The hands that would go up. And there would be hands that would go up for every single candidate I could name. I know that. I know that. Within the kingdom of God, there are so many opinions. That's why it's, a, it's always a crack up for me to uh, listen to the, the media. And they say, well, the evangelical vote. And I'm thinking, what evangelical vote are you talking about? Do you understand there are seven different types of evangelicals? And those evangelicals will vote from a range all the way from Hillary Clinton to Bernie Sanders all the way to Donald Trump. There is no such thing as the evangelical vote. It doesn't exist as a block. We don't see the world the same way. It doesn't work like that. We all have different opinions. In almost every church, there are differing opinions. In fact, there are strong differing opinions, aren't there? Oh, yes, there are. I've already heard some. Bless your little heart. Yeah. So what do you do about that? Now, remember, as a kingdom, what we want to do is to present to the, to the world out there a unified, loving body. How do you do that in the face of strong, differing, personal opinions that will lead you to vote for the exact opposite in candidates? How do you survive? Well, fortunately... The Bible does tell us exactly what to do about that. And here's rule number four. Ready? Show honor and respect to all, especially to people with different opinions. And I'm going to show you that from the Word of God the less time that we have. And did you notice I said especially? You know why I put that in there? Because it's easy to show honor and respect to the people who agree with you. Nobody needs God's help for that. Anybody can do that. We're talking about the things that we really need the help of God. We need the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to live our lives. And let me tell you, it takes the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life to show honor and respect for someone who really disagrees with you. We know this because of the church in Rome. Let me tell you a little bit about the church in Rome. Church in Rome, Paul wrote a book to the, to the, to the church. It's a letter. We call it the book of Romans. Yeah, yeah pretty simple. And... Uh, what was going on in the church at Rome is there was some really differing opinions. And these were very strongly held, and it was breaking the fellowship apart. And Paul, in chapter 14 of the book of Romans, tells them how to handle it. Take a look at this. 
Welcome with open arms believers who don't see the things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, remember they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Disagreements within the church, strong disagreements within the church have been going on since the church first started. Do you know what it was all about in Rome? You're going to laugh because you just can't imagine. It was all about vegetables and worship. There were a group of people in the church in Rome who said, it's wrong to eat meat. You must only eat vegetables. There was another group within the church in Rome that said, oh, God established the worship on Saturday. That's the actual Sabbath. But, but it's wrong, therefore, to worship God on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. Even in Spanish. What is Saturday called? Sabado. Sabbath. Sunday is Domingo. It means the, the first day, okay? This was huge within the church. People were, were, were arguing and people were breaking fellowship because, oh, my word, you're eating animal. That's terrible. And they eat right in front of them. And, oh, my word, we can't worship on Sunday. We can only worship on Saturday. The church is coming apart over these issues. Strong opinions. Paul writes and says, don't do that. Don't jump all over each other. You see, to get along with people who disagree, this is the first thing he's going to say. I'm going to need the courage to own my personal opinions. Your personal opinions are your personal opinions. They belong to you. Own them. Take a look at this passage. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be what? Fully convinced. Now, sometimes we read that that says, each one should try to fully convince everybody else that I'm right. Isn't that something? He didn't say that. You know what he said is, your personal opinion is your personal opinion. It's okay. Be convinced in your own mind. And then leave it. Are you firmly convinced? that the best way to help the poor in this country is to get rid of the minimum wage? Okay. Or are you firmly convinced that the best way to help the poor is to raise the minimum wage? That's your own opinion. I can't... It's yours. I have my opinion. I don't preach it because the pulpit isn't the place for my opinion. But your opinion, own it. Which means this. First of all, don't hide behind God. And we do that. We do that. We, we take our personal opinions and we say, well, it's really not my opinion. It's God's opinion. God is against the minimum wage. Come on, people. Have the guts to own your own personal opinion. You believe what you believe. It's your opinion. It's okay. God doesn't get involved in many of the human affairs that we want him to. We try to blame God for what we do. But God makes allowance for personal taste and opinion. And you know what we call it? We even have a phrase. I've preached it before. I want to remind you, it's called freedom within limits. God tends to set limits. You can't go here and you can't go here. Now, anywhere in here you want to go, go ahead. You want an example? Let's talk about how we dress or how we dress for church. There are limits. Please don't come naked, all right? That's not good. That's one of the limits. Even in your undies, isn't a place we're just not really there, okay? But neither does God say we have to have, the, you know, where we're all dressed up in, you know, tuxedos or whatever. He says, you know what? I'll give you the freedom to choose how you want to dress anywhere between here. So already today, Caleb, where are you? Are you still here? 
He was in here. Oh, yeah, Katie, would you stand up and walk into this in right there? I love those knees. That looks good. Okay, and stand right there. You're fine. You're perfect. Okay. It's, now, is he within the limit? Sure he is. Are any of you going to, any of the rest of you going to show up in shorts? A few of you are. Where is, okay, Ken, good. Are you in shorts today? Are you? Okay, there it is. Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate that. All right. Now, can you? Sure, of course you can. Freedom within limits. Some of you, if you tried to come in shorts, first of all, you would be totally embarrassed, and we would probably gag, so you're probably right. Just don't wear the shorts. Does God give you freedom in there? Sure he gives you freedom. Choose. And your opinion is your opinion, and no one should look down on you, and no one should put you down. It's okay. Some people come and say, you know, I, I need to go to college. I want to go to college. What college does God want me to go to? And I say, has, has he told you? No. Well, then he doesn't care. Just choose one. Where do you want to go to school? Wouldn't it be something that if your father said to you, you know what, where do you want to go? You want to go? I'll go. You, you want to go? Over? Sure, I'll be with you. And I'll, oh, you want to go over here? No problem. Let's go. Freedom within limits. Politics. Well, we already know what the limits are. We saw that last week. Of the least of these. We want a government that really takes care of the least of these. How to do that? God gives you so much freedom in there to decide how to do that. What do you think is going to be the best way to help the poor and disadvantaged? First of all, they're going to have to have a strong nation. I mean, let's face it, if the nation just disappears, that's a little tough. And so you're going to take, our, take a look at terrorism. You're going to take a look at, at the borders. You're going to take a look at military. I mean, all different ways that you're going to look at this. And our Father says to you, okay, choose. Go ahead. It's all right. It's your opinion. But it's not God's opinion. And because it's not God's opinion, we do this. We do not try to force on other people. You're allowed to come up with your own opinion. It's all right to have your own opinion. Your own opinion is, is probably a product of, of who you are, what you've gone through, your gender, your race, where you live, your socioeconomic. It's very possible that if I actually lived exactly the way you have lived, I would have exactly the same opinions. It's just I haven't. I've gone through the way I live. And I have my opinions. And I'm not going to try to force my opinions on you. But you know what? I appreciate it if you wouldn't try to force your opinions on me. And here's the biggest reason why I'm not going to try to force my opinions, why I'm going to understand that I'm going to own my own opinions. Everyone's going to be fully convinced in their own mind and leave it at that because get ready for this one. I may be, what's the word? Wrong. Hey, I'm going to admit it. I have been wrong. That was my daughter. <laughs> One time I thought I was wrong, but I was really right, so I was wrong. So there it is. <laughs> if you were to ask me my opinions about the best way the government should be operating 20 years ago, I would give you the exact opposite answers I would give you today. The things I believed 20 years ago, I no longer believe. In fact, I've gone exactly the opposite. What I thought would work 20 years ago, I no longer believe works. And I've changed my mind 180 degrees. And the reason I don't preach what I really think about now is, guess what? I may still be, what? Wrong. Sure. We're talking about my opinions. They're part of who I am. They're so personal. 
I look at the way that I've lived and what's been going on in the world, and so I've changed my mind. But you know what? I may change my mind again before God takes me home. I really don't. Each one should be fully convinced in your own mind. But then to really get along with everybody, we need to do this. I've got to separate this. I've got to separate my personal opinions from my personal identity. And here's one of the big problems. Okay, so you have your own opinions. You know your own opinions. You're convinced in your own mind. The problem sometimes comes when we see ourselves and we kind of view ourselves as kind of a a summation of all of those opinions. When in fact, I'm not those opinions. My identity is separate from my opinions. Your identity, how I see you, is separate. Your opinions are separate from who you really, really are. It's this question right here. Who are you versus this question, who are you really? Now, let me tell you what happens. Sometimes when we say, who are you? And someone says, well, my name is Fred. I'm a white male Republican American. No, you're not. Even if your name is Fred, even if you're white, even if you're male, even if you're Republican, even if you're American, that's not who you are. See the problem? That's not who you are. Who are you really? Well, I just don't know. No. You describe surface things to me. You know who you really are? Your identity in the flesh is different than who you really are. Let me tell you who you really are. You are a child of God, saved by grace in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's who you will always be. Take a look at this passage. Paul writing to the church of Rome. He's been talking about the people who don't understand who their identity really is. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. See, here's what's going on. Some people said only vegetables, some people everything, and they're kind of putting each other down. Must not condemn the man who does. Why? For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know who I am? I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I happen to be in a male, white body. I happen to be an American. I happen to have my own political views. But you know what? All that stuff's going to be gone away. Who I really am is I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been doing that for 40 years. I will continue to do that for all eternity. I am a child of the living God through Jesus, and that's the way I want you to see me, and that's the way I need to learn to see you, not through the opinions that you have, even if I think they're wrong, even if you disagree with me. You're not your opinion. You are a child of the living God. Take a look at this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Because, see, in the early church, there were lots of divisions. People would begin to look at each other and see their identity through those divisions of race, politics, other things. For all of you who are baptized in Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is neither, ready, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Stop looking at each other through these roles and through these opinions and through the other things. That's not who you are. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as I am. We are both children of God. As a matter of fact, let's rewrite this passage right here for today, because this is what I want you to remember. There is neither (laughs) Republican nor Democrat, right-wing nor left-wing, conservative, moderate, progressive, nor liberal, for you are all one in Christ. Do you have the courage to read that with me? 
Let me read the first part of it. Ready? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Read with me. There is neither Republican nor Democrat, right wing nor left wing, conservative, moderate, progressive, nor liberal, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You may have those opinions, but that is not who you are. You are a child of the living God, just as I am. My opinions are, are the things I formed over the, the course of my life. And that's not who I really am. You want to put it more simply? Here it is. Write it down. I will not take my politics to heaven. Can you imagine the gates? Okay, okay, all right-wingers over here, left-wingers, moderates, you can come right down the middle. Nonsense. When you walk in those gates, you leave it all behind. You know why? Because it's not that important. Remember the very first rule? Make sure my passion, my priorities are properly placed. All the opinions I have, I'm going to leave them behind. The disagreements over immigration and economic policy and foreign policy and military spending, we're going to leave it all behind. And it's not who you are. You are a child of the living God. Politics has no place up there. In heaven, Jesus will not run for Savior of the world every four years. Okay? doesn't happen like that. There will be no shrine to Ronald Reagan anywhere in heaven. The progressive politics of FDR will not have a place of prominence anywhere in heaven. If Hillary is there, it won't be because of her gender or her work as Secretary of State. And if Donald Trump is there, it won't, his, his house will be built by Jesus Christ and it will not be called Trump Towers. When I separate identity, real identity, from the personal opinion, this is what's going to happen in my life. Write this down. To do that, I'm not going to put others down for their opinions. I'm just not going to do it. Because I know that you are a child of the living God, and I love you, and I care about you. Your opinions are your opinions. Even if I disagree with them, I know those opinions are going to one day go away, but I'm not going to put you down. That's what was happening in the early church. Put down. Jesus is so stupid. I reject you for your opinion. If you vote for Obama, well, you're just so stupid. You're going to hear it a lot. The enemy's going to want you to buy into it. Don't buy into it. Don't do it. Don't buy into that real Americans vote for. Real Christians will vote. See your brothers and sisters as who they are, your brothers and sisters. And the opinions that you have will one day just all fall away. And don't be condescending. See, there's a difference between putting someone down and condescending. Putting someone down says you're stupid, you're dumb. Condescending says, well, you're not stupid, you're, 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 you're not dumb, but you're just, I feel sorry for you. The first one is I reject you because of how you vote. The second one is, well, I just feel so sorry for you. Just one day you'll be as wise and intelligent as I am, and then you'll see the truth. Condescending. There's no place for it. Your personal opinions are your personal opinions. Mine are mine. It's okay. 
But don't take disagreements personally either. Because you know what? My identity, sometimes if I take my identity and I wrap it up in my opinions and you disagree with my opinion, what happens? I feel like I've been attacked. You say to me, well, I really disagree with your stand on immigration. What I hear is, well, I think you're big, fat, stupid, and ugly, and I hate you. <laughs> you know why? Because I, I took my opinion, and I wrapped myself, and I said, that's who I am. And when you disagreed with my opinion, then you disagreed with me. When you attacked my opinion, you, you attacked me. And in fact, no, I just said I disagree with you. I think you're wonderful. I think you're great. I think you're wrong, but I think you're great. <laughs> it's okay to do that. Who am I really? Where is my identity? Is it in my political party? Is it in, in my, my gender? Is it in my ethnicity? Is it where I live? Is it my, my country? My identity is in Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking more about this this summer. As a matter of fact, a completely different sermon series, but there you go. Take a look at this passage. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I still have my opinions, but you know what? Who I really am is in Jesus Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who lived me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, while I'm in this body and I see things through these eyes and I've lived through what I've lived through, I will have my own personal opinions about what I'm going to eat, where I'm going to go to church, how I'm going to dress, what I'm going to wear. I'm going to have my own personal opinions about how the country should be run, who I'm going to vote for, which party is the best, and which, which position is correct. I'm going to have all of those things, but you know what? They're not who I am. And all of them are going to be left behind and I'm going to walk into heaven in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, just as you will. It's just that simple. Which means then, as we wrap this whole thing up, according to Romans 14, how is it that I'm going to be able to really live in harmony, and not just harmony, but in joy with a whole church where people will have differing opinions? And here it is. I should work hard at encouraging, honoring, and building others up. When in fact, during the political season, quite often what we do is we work hard at convincing other people how wrong they are and how right I am and who they should vote for. When in fact, Scripture says this is what we should be working at. I should work hard at encouraging, honoring, and building other people up. Take a look at this. Let us, he's still talking to the church of Rome. This is all from Romans here, Romans 14. Let us therefore, in other words, after all this stuff, he's talked about oh, vegetarians, not vegetarians, how you do it, your own personal opinion, don't put people down, don't look down on them. He says this then. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Let's rewrite that for a second. Take your little sermon notes out there. See the word food? Could you cross that out just like that? Could you write this word in for me? Right here. Do not destroy for the work of God, the work of God for the sake of what? Politics. You have your own opinion? Fine. Vote it. I may cancel you out. Or maybe we'll be together. I don't know. But how tragic, particularly every four years, When fellowships are torn apart, and I don't mean just fellowships within the church, but fellowships with other believers, relationships torn apart, politics, 
that won't even make a difference one day. Amazing. Don't do that. I'm going to give you two steps and we're going to be done. Ready? To really build this, this great fellowship within the church and to make sure that we get along with one another, even in the midst of a very difficult time of politics when we're going to have our own different opinions, here's what we do. First one is, would you first of all please assume a good motive? Let me tell you one of the worst questions you can ask me, one of the worst questions I could ask you is, why are you voting for? It's really a bad question. It's actually a degrading question. You come to me and you find out that I'm voting for somebody, well, why are you voting for them? So I would reply, well, because I really hate America and I hate God and I think this person will be the, the best job of tearing us all apart. Why do you think I'm voting for them? Come on, give me some credit. I'm voting for this person because I believe they're going to be the best one who's going to be able to lead this country towards what it should be as it takes care of the poor, the defenseless. That's why I'm voting for them. What a question to ask me. Assume that I love this country. Assume that I really want the government to do what it should do. And then assume that I'm voting for this person because I think they're going to be the best ones who get me there. And I will assume exactly the same thing for you. Some of you are going to vote for Donald Trump, and I know why. Let me tell you why. Because you love this country. And you believe that Donald Trump is the one who's going to be able to lead our government into the type of country that it should be. Some of you will vote for Hillary Clinton, and let me tell you why. I know why you're going to do it. Because you believe that Hillary Clinton is the best candidate who's going to be able to lead this country into the type of future that it's called to have, and that's why you'll vote for her. Now, I may disagree. I may tell you that, that you think the policies of Donald Trump will work, and I may say, well, I don't think they will. You may say the policies of, of Hillary Clinton will work, and I'll say, well, I, I don't know. But this I do know. You love the country. You love God. And that's why you're going to vote the way you do. But if you really, really, really want to take this, whew, it's going to be dangerous, to the next step, we're really going to be able to show the world what it means to be a, a church of Jesus Christ who can get along, and not just get along, but honor and respect people with different opinions, you're going to do this, and this is hard. You're going to learn to listen and not argue. You know the difference between a discussion and an argument? What's the point of a discussion? To hear and be heard, to understand. What's the point of an argument? To win, yeah, baby, that's the American way. I'm going to win, and I'm going to win with my superior intellect and reason. And if I can't win with my superior intellect and reason, then I'm going to win by shutting you down. Because the last person standing wins the argument, whether you're right or not. And that's the difference. What would happen? What would happen? If you found somebody that you know sees the world exactly the opposite from you is going to vote for the opposite, what would happen if you sat down with them and said, you know what I want to do? I just want to hear you. Tell me all the reasons that you think these policies will work. And I promise you this, I'm not going to argue, 
I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to correct. I just want to hear. Do you listen? Do you listen? And when it's all done, you look at them and you say, thank you very much. You shared with me some of the most personal information you ever could, your own personal opinion. I want to thank you for that. And then you get up and you walk away. Or do you have to sit there and go, okay, now that I've listened to you, let me tell you why you're wrong and how you can be right. We ended with this, I mean, we started this whole sermon series a few weeks ago with this passage right here. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so this is where we'll start. Sit down with someone. And look, now, some of you may not be ready for this. Some of the, by the time you, you listen to all the things, that your blood will begin to boil. And you'll, okay, then you're not ready. Stop it. Don't do that. Wait until the Holy Spirit can really take hold of you, calm you down, and say, all I want to do is hear. And we're going to end this whole four-week series with two verses, the two most important verses I can give you during, as your pastor who knows and loves you and cares about you, these two passages that are really hopefully going to flow over you through the entire election cycle. Hear them. Kind of small because I wanted to put both up there and I want to leave them up there during Salem. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of, in this case, you have your own opinion? It's okay. You're entitled. If I live through what you live through, I probably have that opinion too. But don't blame God for your opinion. All these political things will be left at the door of the gate of heaven. Remember what we're about. We're not about politics. The country has lived through bad presidents before. Don't worry. Even if your candidate doesn't make it, we'll be all right. And even if we aren't, you know what? The kingdom that we belong to will never, ever fall. So my real identity and my real home is safe and secure no matter who is elected. Father, I want to thank you so much for the, the last four weeks and, and for meeting with us as we've looked at all of this. And Father, I thank you that your word was received as it was. Lord, you know our, you created us. You know we really love to get into some of us even more than others. Father, would you help us to remember what's really important and to treat one another with honor and respect. And to remember, Father, that our true identity, it's not in our politics or our gender or where we live or our country of origin. It's, it's in you, Jesus. You brought us to life. You gave us life. You made us alive. You brought us eternal life. We didn't even really have life till you showed up in our lives. And you, our identity is found in you and you alone. Thank you, Father. We're going to take just a few moments and uh, 